0: Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on History.org. This is Behind the Scenes.
1: Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. This week we're continuing our conversation with Bill Barker, who at Colonial Williamsburg interprets Thomas Jefferson. Last week we talked about Thomas Jefferson's inquiry into natural history, and this week we turn our attention to his mechanical inclinations.
0: Do you know, oddly enough, Jefferson had a very fine tool chest. Of uh, uh, very well made tools, and yet we believe he hardly ever used them uh, but he he did enjoy tinkering with things; he was always someone devoted to improving uh, whatever mechanical device excited him and provoked his curiosity. I think one of the earliest accomplishments in that regard is his It was a three-legged stool that would fold up, and he would take it with him uh, wherever he traveled. In fact, he referred to it as his church stool because wherever he was on a Sunday and would attend to services, uh, he would not want to displace anyone on their own bench, in their own pew, so he'd bring in his camp stool and sit upon it. Uh, What he called uh, uh, his whirligig chair uh, is, is a tinkering of a device that. He saw we believe, for the first time in Philadelphia, uh, simply a revolving chair, a swivel chair, and uh, he um, uh, either bought one of these very early on, acquired one early on. We know that he did make one, have one made at his joinery at Monticello, in which he added uh, a writing board uh, onto the chair itself, so you could be seated in the chair, turn in any direction, uh, and as well attend to writing on the board that was attached to the uh, to the chair royal uh, his um, Dumbwaiter. Now, there are two varieties of the dumbwaiters. Uh, the first, of course, is that that is he has built inside his uh, fireplace, uh, the mantelpiece. And and this brings uh, wine bottles up from the, the basement to be served there in the dining room, uh, particular mantelpieces he has built in his dining room at Monticello. Again, this is an adaptation. He has not created this out of nowhere. We believe that he saw this for the first time in Paris at the Café Mécanique, uh, which was probably well known because of that curiosity that will bring wine up from the basement uh, of the restaurant uh, there in in Paris. The other dumbwaiter is simply furniture that uh is is contrived with four or five shelves uh, upon casters and usually a marble top so that the food can be brought and placed on that dumbwaiter. And uh, then be rolled around the table for people to take from that Jefferson can serve from the dumb waiter around the table in the French fashion. Now, the reasons these are all called dumb waiters, of course, is because uh, it does not uh, have to allow for a waiter in the room and This is most essential, uh, particularly if you 're discussing politics. Uh, or even scientific investigations that you do not want revealed outside of that uh, dining chamber and the people, the gentlemen who may be there specifically to talk upon these things.
1: Some of his inventions, they're, they're practical, but there's also something whimsical about them. He has some installed in the White House and some, of course, I- at Monticello. Can you tell me about some of the Jeffersonian inventions or adaptations that you can find today in those places?
0: Well, you can find the, uh, um, the folding ladder Uh, The folding ladder, again, is not his creation. He had seen it before. In in Europe, it's simply a a ladder that folds up like a pole. You would think that's all it is, simply a pole. But when you uh, look at it closely, you see that the ladder actually folds out on its rungs. All of the rungs have moved up into the the single pole. So you pull uh, both uh, the pole apart, and the rungs splay out there in front of you. Uh, you can see this still at Monticello, uh, which he used in the hallway there, the entrance hall, to attend to his great clock. And uh, the great clock, of course, is is his own design. Now, what is so curious about the clock is the fact that. Um, Hung over the entrance door to Monticello uh, with one face out of doors as you approach from the east uh, and the workings and the other face of the clock indoors as you come into the foyer, uh, the cannonballs that are attached uh, to the chain in order to provide the torque and the weight to the clock uh, and the chains are sprayed out from the base of the clock. Uh, along uh, the the wall there, and then they descend in the corners of the room. How else would they be able to descend in the, in the middle of the entrance door? And Jefferson calculates that we can uh, ascertain by descent of the cannonball there in the corner of the room uh, what day of the week it might be by intervals. So he has uh, wooden placards painted up with the names of the days of the week upon them, beginning near the ceiling with Sunday, and uh, he had initially hoped... Uh, at the floor, finally, with Saturday. So obviously at some point, if he did not discover it while he was designing the clock to be installed at Monticello, Saturday is not going to fit in the entrance hall. Uh, So he simply pokes a hole in the floor and puts Saturday down in the basement. Now, that is probably the most unique and the most special of all of Jefferson's uh, inventions, and that is truly Jefferson's creation.
1: You've brought with you one of my favorite examples, the writing desk that he used, and he actually drafted the Declaration of Independence on it.
0: It is an absolute perfect piece of, of furniture, I think, designed by Mr. Jefferson with utility and purpose and elegance uh, in mind. Um, it is about, let me see, uh, what, about 9 inches by 14 inches by 3 inches. Uh, it is a... What is called a lap desk, you can call it a slope um, it is it serves as um, a a carry all uh, for your stationery for your ink uh, for your quill pens for your wax and your seals for it has a drawer that is built into uh, the entire area of the the lap desk it also can serve as uh a slope to read a book upon by way of a a ratchet in the back of it. The ratchet uh, sits into various um, notches um, that are cut into the top uh, of the desk, so you can lift the the top up and underneath that, of course, the ratchet then can be put in various heights. Uh, Then you can simply uh, open up the top, uh, more so from the uh, book-reading slope, and make a complete... Uh, writing desk out of it, you can put a good sized sheet of uh, of paper on that to write on, or jefferson 's sheets, which are usually about nine by seven inches, where the uh, uh, size of the paper is stationary that he would use. Um, this lap desk, yes, was designed by him; he tells us that. It was not uh, manufactured by him. It was not built by him. It was built by his cousin, Benjamin Randolph, uh, in Philadelphia. Again, Jefferson tells us this. And uh, this is the lap desk that uh, he wrote the Declaration of American Independence on that uh, uh, June of 1776 when he was renting uh, two rooms from uh, the German bricklayer in uh, Jacob Graff in Philadelphia. And the southwest corner of 7th and, uh, and High Street, now Market Street. And later on, as Jefferson continues to use this, he brings it with him to France. Uh, he certainly is using it while he's uh, President of the United States. Uh, beyond that, when his granddaughter, uh, Ellen Randolph, uh, marries Joseph Coolidge, the son of a very wealthy banker in Boston, uh, he uh, gifts this lap desk as an element of her trousseau, uh, a wedding present. And he writes on top of it, um, uh, or, or writes on a piece of paper that he affixed, affixes to the, the lap desk uh, the following message. Uh, quote, Thomas Jefferson gives this writing desk to Joseph Coolidge, Jr. as a memorial of affection. It was made from a drawing of his own by Ben Randall, cabinetmaker of Philadelphia, with whom he first lodged on his arrival in that city in May 1776, and is the identical one on which he wrote the Declaration of Independence. Politics, as well as religion, has its superstitions. These, gaining strength with time, may one day give imaginary value to this relic for its association with the birth of the great charter of our independence." He writes this at Monticello, November 18, 1825, a few months before he passes away.
1: And he was right. It did become a relic.
0: It is. It, you may see this in the Smithsonian Museum, in the uh, President's Exhibition Hall. In fact, as you enter the hall, this is uh, uh, in a uh, display case uh, sitting all by itself right there in the middle of the room. So you can look at uh, Jefferson's lap desk on which he wrote the Declaration of American Independence from all sides.
1: Jefferson was an early adopter of some mechanical gadgets which are common to us today, the odometer, the pedometer, and a device called the theodolite.
0: All of them uh, he purchased when he was a young man, actually, and all of them are useful for various uh, uh, elements in traveling and in surveying. The theodolite uh, was something that was uh, created uh, in the mid-18th century uh, to make surveying uh, the more distinct, the more precise, that you are able to, uh, uh, in your surveys, provide for height as well as distance uh, uh, of any line to be drawn. And he bought this, we believe his first uh, theodolite was bought in the in the 1770s, uh, that he ordered this. It was not fr- from anywhere in the colonies, uh, but rather from England. Uh, the odometer, uh, we believe Jefferson purchased while he was in Europe. Uh, Of course, traveling great distances, he was always curious, just how far am I traveling? How can I calculate uh, distances that can be made within a day's travel? Or better yet, uh, back in Virginia, how may I understand how far it will take me uh, before I need to settle my horses or settle myself for the evening? So, um, the odometer was was quite useful in that regard. He had uh, telescopes, he had microscopes. Uh, he had concave mirrors that would help bring light more efficiently and, and abundantly to his microscopic uh, studies.
1: One of the gadgets that he celebrated the most and saved him the most time was the polygraph machine.:
0: oh, Yes, a remarkable device. It, it is simply the polygraph is simply a thin, wide box that when you open it up, you open out a machine uh, or a contrivance uh, of wooden and metal arms uh, to which are attached uh, two quills or two pens. And uh, when you pick the one pen up uh, to move and dip in ink, the other pen will follow. So as well, when you pick the one pen up to, to write a letter, the other pen will write a letter as well. So you put two sheets of paper uh, down on the board, and as you're writing with the one pen, you're writing a, a, a first copy with the other. So here Jefferson is creating copies of all of his letters. So you can understand how the polygraph, in Jefferson's mind, for someone who is, is writing thousands of letters, uh, at least 10 or 12 a day, to him, this is the greatest invention of the day. It's, it's, now he's, It's a human fax machine. You're able to disseminate information to the greatest distance and with the greatest number of people.
1: Jefferson's his curiosity and his pursuit and his improvements upon mechanical inventions, watching the way that he interacts with that world gives us such an insight into his mind. When you consider the way that his mind works in terms of mechanical thinking, do you see that borne out in any way in his political philosophy?
0: There is no question that Jefferson's curiosity uh, about nature, the world around him, and man's capability to better his condition uh, influences his political thought. Uh, Jefferson believes uh, that uh, uh, reason uh, is what should be followed by a people in order to better their condition, that we should never resort to superstition. We should never resort to to something that we uh, cannot figure out if we apply ourselves uh, to it. And uh, so he is one who believes in the, uh, the value of the individual. He is one to believe that every mind uh, that is born into this world is a new mind, never seen before, ready to be provoked in the intellect and inspired in the imagination.
1: Bill, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's been a pleasure having you.
0: Thank you. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. We like hearing from you. Send us a comment at history.org slash podcasts. Check back often. We'll post more for you to download in here.